Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Separating fact from fiction. We're going to repeal it and replace it, and and it'll be great health care for much less money. We can have the benefits that were promised to them without any change whatsoever. But if we keep kicking the can down the road, keep digging the hole deeper, burying that deficit more, that's much harder to keep that kind of a commitment. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Assistant's calling from Kansas City, Missouri. Marcia from Pittsburgh. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy, just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Our producer today, Mr. Mark Groves. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States, up to 145 affiliates. Thanks to all of you in our listening audience. If you want to like me on Facebook, it's Kerry Hall, and I'll spell it C-A-R-Y because I get emails asking me, how do you spell your name? So C-A-R-Y Hall, that's all you need to do to find me on Facebook. You can also go to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. News, blogs, lots of information up there. The current turmoil in the Puzzle Palace in D.C. on what's happening with ACA, Obamacare, and all the rest of it, all that information is posted up there. We try to update that thing about weekly so we can keep you ahead of the curve in terms of what's happening uh, legislatively with those issues and other issues throughout the country regarding health care. If you have questions about health insurance or any health insurance related issues, yes, I am a broker consultant. Somebody asked me the other day, are you really a broker? Yes, really, I am. The number and our operators are standing by. If you have questions, if you're an employer, if you're somebody that's chronologically challenged like I am and you're on Medicare or you're just looking for an individual health insurance policy for your family, 877-385-2224. 877-385-2224 is the number, um, and we have folks standing by that can take your calls. I am not taking calls in the studio today because I have a special guest in the studio today. Joining me today is Dr. Richard Mose uh, from the Global Alzheimer's Platform. Welcome, doctor. Thank you, Carrie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it was great for you to fly in. I know you're extremely busy, and uh, this took us a while to get this organized, but I am thrilled to have you here. This is our third in the series that we are doing on Alzheimer's, and and the purpose of these shows, as I have told you in the past two broadcasts, is to educate you and give you resources regarding Alzheimer's and the Alzheimer's issue. We're going to go into a lot of information today. Uh, Dr. Mose has come in town to spend time with us today to talk about a whole series of issues regarding Alzheimer's. We're going to talk about clinical trials. We're going to talk about what's going on with new drugs. You know, all of this information is going to be out there today. So this should be a fascinating show. We're very fortunate to have him. Dr. Mose is a PhD. He is the chief scientific officer of the Global Alzheimer's Platform. Uh, He worked at Eli Lilly and Company, where he held several leadership positions, including vice president of neuroscience, early clinical development, and uh, leader of the Global Alzheimer's Drug Development Team from 2007 to 2012. Dr. Mose received his Ph.D. in psychology from Stanford University and completed his postdoctoral training in pharmacology at Stanford Medical School before joining Eli Lilly. 
Well, Doctor, you're certainly qualified to talk about this topic based on all the information I've seen. Um, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your being here. This is a, um, a significant issue in this country. It looks almost like it's turning into an epidemic now in terms of the number of people that are affected by this. So let's just start with your explaining what is Alzheimer's. Well, thank you, Kerry. Um, Alzheimer's disease is a disease of the brain. Um, it's a progressive condition in which uh, neurons, that is the cells that actually make the brain work, uh, they begin to die um, for reasons that we don't fully understand. Um, we know that there's certain kinds of uh, abnormalities besides cell death that occur in the brain as, as this disease starts. You get these things called plaques. They're glumps of protein that shouldn't be there, and it's, we know what that protein is. Um, they usually form around the outside of brain cells. They're called amyloid plaques. Um, there's another feature uh, called tau tangles. That's a different protein, and it forms these kind of funny-looking uh, uh, spiral staircase-like structures inside of brain cells, and they're not supposed to be there either. Um, but the net result for patients is that they, first of all, they start to lose their ability to learn new things, so their memory goes bad. They can't remember what they had for lunch yesterday or whatever. Um, as the disease progresses and uh, more brain cells die, they'll start to have difficulty in finding words. Um, their speech becomes kind of monotonous, and they'll go to uh, certain repetitive phrases that they say over and over because that's pretty much all they can remember. They'll have difficulty with what we call praxis. That's the ability to uh, perform uh, motor activities that you used to know well. Um, for example, patients with advanced disease will have difficulty putting their own clothes on and things, and uh, they clearly used to know how to do that stuff, but they no longer can. Now, uh, the reason it's such a, uh, a growing problem is the biggest risk factor for Alzheimer's disease is age. I mean, there are some others. There's some genetic risk factors, but for the most part, uh, the biggest risk factor is getting older. We, we don't find Alzheimer's disease in, you know, teenagers or young adults. There are certain rare genetic forms that can happen in the 40s, but for most people who get the disease, it happens in their 60s, 70s, or 80s. Um, and years ago, uh, when people only lived on average to be in their 50s, it wasn't the big problem. Um, but with advances in control of infectious disease and heart disease and so forth, we now have a lot of people who get into their 70s and 80s, and it, it is a very big problem. In the U.S. today, there's about 5.5 million people with the disease, and there's uh, many more who are at risk. And as the population gets older, um, we can see a lot of people with this disease. So it's a big problem. Yeah, it is a big problem. And let's go back to a couple of things I think it's important for the audience to hear from you. First of all, you said it is a progressive condition. So it mean, what you mean, I assume, when you say that is, that it is progressively getting worse. Yes. Uh, uh, there's no evidence that there are any spontaneous remissions or anything like that. Once the <clears throat> disease sets in, it just relentlessly uh, gets worse. Um, it's hard to detect at the very beginnings because, you know, everybody forgets things, and it's not clear that all forgetting is a start of a bad disease. But if it continues to get worse and worse and eventually involves language and these other things, then you know that it's due to a very bad disease destroying brain cells. And, and, and you talked about the two, um, the, the two issues, the tangles and the amyloid plaques. You've been researching this since 2002, and I look back at your biography. Yeah. So for 15 years, you've been working on this. What, th these are the two main issues that you've identified in yeah. terms of 
the cause and effect, if you will, uh, of what goes on with Alzheimer's? Right. Well, those are the two uh, obvious culprits. Okay. Um, and we know that the amyloid plaques start a long time before people actually get symptoms. So there's some thinking that maybe that's the trigger that starts it off. And so a lot of the work on current therapy development has been to try to figure out ways to either stop those plaques from forming or reducing the protein. Um, tau has been a little bit diff more difficult to uh, tackle uh, from a medicine development point of view, but they're beginning to make progress on that too. But those are the two main areas that are going on. Could be that there's some other things that we don't understand yet, like inflammation of the brain that plays a role uh, as well. But those two things, the plaques and the tangles, are the two main things that people are working on right now. So just being able to identify those things since you started in 2002, it seems to me that that's a form of progress. Am I right or wrong? Oh, it's absolutely a form of progress. I mean, the plaques and tangles were identified way back by <clears throat> Professor Alzheimer at the beginning of the 20th century in the early 1900s. But it wasn't until the 1980s, early 90s that people actually figured out what was in those plaques. In other words, the proteins that were in there how those proteins got made, what's wrong with them when they aggregate, and so forth. So that's really opened up the possibility of developing medicines that might correct that problem. So by identifying the, the tangles and the plaques and the proteins that make up these tangles and plaques, that now gives us some course to chart toward finding a way to slow this down, stop it, and hopefully ultimately cure it? Ultimately, yes. That's the aim. I mean, once you have some inkling as to what uh, might be the pathology. It's like in cardiovascular disease where you have atherosclerotic plaques. I mean, figuring out ways like with statins and so forth to, to reduce them has markedly lowered the rate of Amazing. heart attacks and strokes. Yes. We would like to be able to do that uh, with Alzheimer's disease, um, and we're making progress. It's been enormously frustrating and difficult, um, but we are making progress. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's kind of a definition of where we are. When we come back from the break, I'm going to talk about where we stand in 2017 now. Um, you know, Dr. Mose is the chief scientific officer for Global Alzheimer's Platform, uh, obviously has a history at Eli Lilly, and we're going to talk about where we're at in terms of looking at a cure, where are we at in terms of looking at, at how we're slowing this disease down? Are we slowing it down? What are we doing and what can we expect? If you want information on this program, if there's anything, if you have someone in your family who has the issue or you suspect that there's an issue or you're just looking for resources, I urge you to go to MemoryStrings.org, MemoryStrings.org. A ton of stuff on that website up there that will be very helpful to you. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you've got questions, send me an email. I get a couple of hundred a day, which means I don't answer each one of them the same day. By the way, I've been on vacation for two weeks. I'm a little behind, but I do answer each and every one of them, and I will get back to you if you send me an email from that website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Our producer, the always perfect Mr. Mark Groves. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Coming up in this segment, we're going to continue our conversation um, with Dr. Richard Mose, Chief Science Officer 
for the Global Alzheimer's Platform. We're very fortunate to have him in studio with us today to talk about this significant issue. We're going to talk more about that as we move through this segment. But I want to take a moment to go back to this website, memorystrings.org. You know, you need to go up there and take a look. If If somebody in your family, if there's a history of this, or somebody in your family is currently dealing with it, or if you're just interested, some of the resources that are up up there. For instance, if if you click on the tab Access to New Treatments and you go up under Research Volunteers, rather you click Research Volunteers, you'll see up there Access to New Treatments, Experimental Medical Care, Help Others and Loved Ones and Future Generations. There are a whole series of things up there that could be of enormous help to you. I had a young man call me after one of our last shows whose mother had has Alzheimer's and wanted to know how quickly he could get her into one of these trials. So, you know, I'll, 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 I'll repeat you what I've said before. The first person cured from Alzheimer's will be in one of these clinical trials. Okay, and I stole that line from John Dwyer at Global's Alzheimer's, but that is a fact. So if you want information, if you've got somebody in your family who's dealing with this, or um, as you heard Dr. Amos say, if you've got a history, maybe you've got a genetic history. We had a gentleman on uh, who was in a clinical trial, and he had a genetic history going back five generations with Alzheimer's. If you've got that issue, go to the website, memorystrings.org. A ton of information up there uh, would be enormously helpful to you. So we talked about 5.5 million people, doctor, right. and, and the current number. But the risk accelerates um, as we age. So let's talk a little bit about that right. and, and how that changes. Okay. Well, the number of people who have the disease, say, in their or get the disease, say, in their 50s or even early 60s is very small. Um, but once you get to 65, the numbers start to become significant. Um, you'll find a lot of people there. And as people get older, the risk goes up because the risk is age-related. Now, when you get to really old age, what I would consider really old age, you get past about 85, the risk actually starts sort of starts to taper off a bit. Um, now, it doesn't mean you can't have bad things happen to your brain at an old age, but a lot more of it is vascular, um, you know, mini strokes and that sort of thing. Um, but usually what we think of is as if everybody lived to be about 90 with current risk ratios, probably about 35 to 40 percent of everybody would get the disease if everybody lived to be you know age what? 90. That, that should scare the hell out of people. 35 to 40 percent of the people live to be 80 would be affected by this disease. That, that's almost, you're, you're, you're not that far from half. Okay? That's right. And that, that is scary when you think about it. And that's why we have such a large proportion of people in nursing homes and extended care who need almost total care who have dementia of one sort or another. Yeah, and, and, it, and it is a significant issue. So having said that, and, 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 and quantifying how significant this is and how it, it becomes more significant with age, and I'm sitting here chronologically challenged at age 68. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Groves is sitting over there at 40 looking at us. But anyway, having said that, um, where are we at in 2017 in terms of new medicines. I know there were two trials that were just finished, both of which did not do well. Right. Um, Let's talk about where we are. You've been doing this for 15 years, and and you're the chief science officer for Global Alzheimer's. How how are we doing? Where are we at? Right. What's going on? Well, right now, we have only four medicines that have ever been approved for Alzheimer's disease. Three are what we call cholinesterase inhibitors. They were designed to replace one of the chemical messengers that seems to be involved in memory, and they work 
uh, to a modest extent, but they do not stop or slow the progression of the disease, so they produce a temporary symptomatic benefit. Uh, the new medicines that are under investigation that target amyloid and tau and to some extent uh, neuroinflammation, they're designed to actually uh, slow the progression of this disease and spare brain cells from dying. Um, unfortunately, the, the processing and the production of A-beta, which goes into amyloid, and the tau protein, which goes into these tangles, is enormously complicated. And uh, some of the early attempts that we just had from Lilly and from Merck uh, to try to slow the progression of uh, the development of these plaques were not successful. They did not produce a clinical benefit. Now, it's not clear uh, whether or not that was because they enrolled the wrong kinds of patients. We've learned a lot more about how to enroll patients in these trials than we used to know, um, or that those were medicines that were not potent enough. Um, but there are still many medicines, uh, potential medicines, in development that target various aspects of amyloid and tau, and we expect to see hopefully more positive results over the next few years as those different kinds of medicines um, uh, read out from clinical trials. Okay, so so the, the Merck and the Lilly, the last two failed. Am I correct in understanding that they didn't just fold up their tent and go home and say, okay, well, we learned this and this is our information. It's my understanding that they actually shared that information with the rest of the pharmaceutical and research community so that there was some benefit to that failure because we learned from the failure certain things. Is that correct or incorrect? That is correct. I mean, in a, in a business, and it is a business, <clears throat> where um, failure is the norm. These are very complicated processes. And even in diseases where we understand things quite a bit better, there's oftentimes failures in medicines. Um, the way to speed up the process is to share all the learnings from each, quote, failure so that the next company, the next sponsor that comes along doesn't repeat that failure. They at least do something different. Um, and we've learned that certain kinds of mechanistic approaches do not uh, yield success, so we don't want another company to go off and do the same thing again and expose people to a medicine that's not going to work. Um, we've learned a lot about how to enroll patients in trials by identifying ones who actually have deposited amyloid in their brain. Um, so there is learning that goes on from each of these failures, and the only way to make sure that, that learning ultimately benefits patients is for the sponsors, the companies, or the uh, researchers involved to publish their data and make it generally available so that other people don't make the same mistake. And that is, in fact, what they're doing. Yes, it is. So so that has to be looked upon, at least from where I'm sitting, as, yes, um, uh, you know, we took two steps back. Maybe we did take one step forward because, as you said, this is going to prevent uh, two other companies from going out yep. and doing exactly the same thing over again and duplicating the same failures. They're going to learn from the failures. That's absolutely right. And I think companies and and researchers are <laughs> smart enough to know that we're all in this together and that we all have to learn and that there will be multiple medicines eventually needed to treat this disease. When I come back from the break, you heard doctor talk about trials. We're going to get into clinical trials. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about how you can get involved in the clinical trial. Why should you get involved in the clinical trial? What are the benefits of getting involved in the clinical trial? We're going to get in the weeds on that in the next, in the next segment. If you want information, go to the website, memorystrings.org. 
memorystrings.org. Click on Research Volunteers. There's a ton of information up there. If you go on there and you click that, you'll see three other tabs that will be very helpful to you. So the website, again, memorystrings.org. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Our producer, Mr. Mark Groves. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. The website, memorystrings.org. I urge you, if you have anybody in your family that has this issue, friend, whatever the case may be, relative, go to that website. There's a ton of information up there. If you want access to new treatments, they've got that's up there under the tab uh, Research Volunteers. You'll see three different tabs, Access to New Treatments, Experimental Medicine, medical care, um, and help others, loved ones, and future generations. This is a unique website with unique content and very unique access to these trials all across the country. If I remember correctly, doctor, there are 71 universities and hospitals that are participating in these trials across the country. Is that about right? Yes. That's about right. I'm not suffering from Alzheimer's yet. That's no. A, that's impressive. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and that means wherever you're listening to me, whether it's San Diego or whether it's North Carolina um, or whether it's St. Louis, Missouri, or, or you're in Wichita, Kansas, it doesn't matter wherever you may be, Nashville, Tennessee, whatever the case may be, San Francisco, California, there is a trial probably somewhere in the vicinity of where you are. And the only way you're going to know that is by going to memorystrings.org. That's why this website was created created was to give people access to information and access to these trials. And that segue into, uh, as John Dwyer has so eloquently put it, the first person cured from Alzheimer's will be in a trial, Dr. Mose. What, uh, l- let's talk about that. You know, what, what, what does that mean? And, and, and why is it taking so long to develop these medications? Right. Well, uh, <laughs> as we talked about earlier, you know, Alzheimer's is a relentless disease. It never has any remissions. Nobody ever gets cured. And we have no medicines right now that will actually slow the progression. But just like in oncology, where for many years there were very few effective treatments, there now are some. And the first people who had access to those treatments were in the clinical trials that were used to develop those medicines. And the first people who get a medicine that actually slows down or stops the progression of Alzheimer's disease will be somebody who's in one of these clinical trials. Um, Now, why does it take so long? Well, look, it took from the early 1900s to 1986 to even figure out what was in those plaques in the brain and what was in those tangles, and then we finally figured that out. Um, Then it took a long time to try to figure out some pharmacology. In other words, how would a medicine modify that process in some way? Um, And those studies are done in, you know, laboratories and so forth, and when you find some molecule, which is a potential medicine, then you have to figure out, is it suitable to administer to people? And it takes a while to figure that out. And then when you get it into people, does it act like a medicine? In other words, does it get to the target? Does it get to the place where it's supposed to go? Or does it somehow just get squished out in the liver or something like that? Um, And sometimes we make mistakes and we don't do that. Um, But then ultimately, when you get something that looks like it could be a potential medicine, the only way you know for sure is you got to give it to some people who have the disease and compare them to some people who didn't get that or got some uh, comparator compound or a placebo and see whether or not they're actually different. Hence the clinical trial. Hence the clinical trial. So this, is, this process is not going to move forward 
Yeah. And, and, and it's not going to be, you know, the whole idea behind Global Alzheimer's and, and, and the website MemoryStrings.org is to get as many people involved as we can, to get as much information out there as we can, because the more people we get involved in these trials, how much quicker we will be able to get through the process and find a solution that, because you just said it, you know, you've said it several times, there's nothing that slows it down and there is nothing that cures it right now. So the only way we're going to make progress on that is to get people involved in these trials, yes or no? That's exactly right. The answer is yes. We have a lot of ideas about how we might go about slowing the progression of the disease or producing a cure, but the only way we can find out if those ideas are right is we have to take the molecules or the potential medicines that come out of those ideas, put them into a clinical trials where we compare people who got that potential medicine with people who didn't, and see if the people who got the potential new medicine are actually better. And as you know from the failures, a lot of our guesses are not right. And if the first guess isn't right, you have to learn from that and then try something else. So that's very interesting because that takes me back to something you said on the break. Uh, I asked you, I said, why are the, why do these pharmaceutical companies, Eli Lilly, Merck, and the rest of them, Eli Lilly's been doing this since 1986. I don't even want to guess what the amount of money that has been spent on rolling out these drugs, all of which has failed up to this point, right? Okay, to, to either slow it down or stop it. So, so it begs the question, um, because we have a tendency in this country, especially the people that sit in Washington, D.C., to demonize this industry, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but the point is, if these folks aren't doing this, then nobody's doing it. That's right. I mean, the, the uh, federal government and their, their funding of research institutes and universities, they spend a lot of money to do what I would call basic biological science. In other words, understand the underpinnings of disease and how cells work and so forth. But they do not develop medicines. Medicines come out of the pharmaceutical industry. They develop these molecules, and it's their responsibility to test them. Um, and uh, they, I think most major pharmaceutical companies would like to make their money by doing good and curing bad diseases like Alzheimer's and cancer and diabetes and so forth. And fortunately, if they do enough different things, some of them will work out and they'll have some medicines that they can sell for cardiovascular or whatever. And at a company like Lilly or Merck, I mean, they are making money by selling vaccines for infectious disease or medicines for diabetes, and then they take those profits, many of them, and put them back into things that are much more risky and doing these clinical research. I mean, at Lilly, they have funded uh, the Alzheimer's program since 1986. And with still, no success. With no success, but they are still doing it, and they still have ongoing trials, and my understanding is that they will continue. As long so, as there's a good idea out there to be pursued. Okay. So, so what on just and this is kind of coming out of the field at you, but uh, what typically are, what what is an a, an average cost for one of these particular trials to go through this whole process? Like the last two that Merck and Lilly did. What are you looking at dollar wise? Well, those single trials are probably around four to five hundred million dollars each. Four but to five hundred million dollars a piece. Right. And that doesn't even count the amount of money that was spent to get the research done to produce something that could go into a clinical trial. And Lilly has done many clinical trials, as has Merck and has Biogen and Roche. And uh, we know in the industry as a whole, it's about $2.8 billion spent for every successful new medicine. And in an area like Alzheimer's disease, where there have been no successful new medicines for 20 years, 
I would guess there's been much more than that spent in the pharmaceutical industry. I would have to guess that they've kind of gone past two point eight. He's not saying million people. He's saying two point eight billion. So and, and 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 let's talk about that for a second because the other the other misconception is that the federal government is somehow funding this or helping this. The federal government is not funding this, and they are not funding these clinical trials. Am I right or wrong about that? Uh, that is correct. The federal government funds academic uh, university-based researchers to study basic issues in biology and how cells work and that sort of thing, but they do not own any molecules. They do not uh, produce any new potential medicines, and uh, when a company does that, they are obligated to pay themselves for the clinical trials that are needed to determine whether or not that thing works. Is the FDA hindering or helping this process now? I would say in this area, the FDA has been uh, pretty helpful. Um, their role is at the end of the day, if a company has a, a medicine that they think works, their role is to be the gatekeeper, to look at the data and say, have you really proved that so that we could release it uh, for distribution? Um, and in Alzheimer's disease, they've been pretty proactive about looking at the new scientific developments and working with sponsors like Lilly and Merck to give them a guidance about whether or not the trials that they're proposing, would that be satisfactory for registering this compound, registering being, you know, getting it approved for on the market. So uh, in general, they've been pretty helpful, I think. And and that's good to hear because we hear a lot of the other that yeah. that, that, it, that that it's so much easier to get drugs approved in Europe that we that we have this process yada yada yada. But I don't see a lot of these drugs coming out of Europe. The the it, it seems to me that the preponderance of these medications are developed right at least my experience over the last nineteen years in the health insurance industry is the majority of this stuff seems to come out of work that's done here in the United States. Is that a misconception? Or am I correct? No, that? that's true. Even many of the of the pharmaceutical companies that are headquartered in other companies, their major research efforts are based in the U.S. Simply because the science is better here, um, and there's um, a, a pretty good uh, regulatory environment where you can actually interact with them and get and get feedback from them. So, so that, that that's very interesting. We're going to come back after the break. We're going to we're going to go into a second part of this on why should you get involved? Why should you care? Why should you want to get involved? What's entailed if you get involved? What kind of trials are out there? So, um, I'll ask Dr. Mose to talk about that when we come back from the break and talk about why that makes sense or is something you might want to take a look at. The website is memorystrings.org. Memorystrings.org. Once again, if you have anybody in your family, relative, friend, whatever the case may be, uh, the, the, the click on research volunteers up there. You'll be fascinated to see all the information up there. Remember what he said. The first person cured from Alzheimer's will be in a trial. Memorystrings.org. I'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. My producer today, Mr. Mark Groves. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Coming up in this segment, we're going to continue this fascinating conversation with Dr. Richard Mose, Chief Science Officer, Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation, 
uh, came in from Chicago today to join us on the air and talk to you about these issues. This is our third in the series um, on Alzheimer's. What can you do? What do you need to know? How can you get help? All the information, all of that is up on the website, memorystrings.org, memorystrings.org. As I I said in the earlier segment, there are 71 facilities around the country doing trials, Uh, like the young man who called me about his mother and wanted to get her into a trial right on the website. There is the information. Here's how you do it. It's all there. Okay. It doesn't cost anything. Um, you can get involved. We're going to talk about those trials in this segment uh, with Dr. Mose and, and, and what different kinds of trials there are. As I said, there are 71 facilities around the country here in Kansas City. It happens to be KU Medical Center, Kansas University, but there are 71 of these around the country that are doing this wherever you may be, East Coast, West Coast, um, you know, whether you're in Tennessee, whether you're in uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Kansas, Missouri, there's some place around you more than likely that is conducting one of these, and you you can get help if you want help. Again, the memorystrings.org is the website. All right, so begs the question, why should I care? Why, If I don't have the disease or I don't show symptoms of it, why should I be interested in going to the website and looking at um, the particular uh, area called research volunteers, doctor? Right. Well, um, there's a couple of reasons. One is you may know somebody who's got the disease or is at risk for the disease. And uh, you would want to try to help them. Um, For people who actually have symptoms, and there are many trials out there for people who actually have symptoms, um, oftentimes getting a state-of-the-art diagnostic workup is difficult. In other words, uh, really being sure what's the cause of the problem that uh, the person is experiencing around memory. And most of these clinical trial sites are really expert at giving a good diagnostic workup. And that's usually free. So that's the first benefit is you can get some certainty about what kind of condition you have or whether or not you actually have a condition or are at risk. And you may not have it. You may you think may not, you have yeah. But you would know definitively one way or the other. The other thing, obviously, is like the gentleman we had on on the last broadcast we did who was in one of the trials, he had, I think it was either four or five generations going back, his grandmother, aunts, I mean, everybody in his family had, yeah. had and he has it. Um, And so he was concerned to identify it, and that's why he's in the trial program. Right. Well, and once you get into a trial, if it's a good trial, um, you will get not only a state-of-the-art workup, but you'll get the opportunity to potentially get a treatment that works. And since now there's very few treatments that have any impact at all and nothing that cures, there's the potential you could be one of those first patients who actually get cured. Uh, Beyond that, in most clinical trials, you get regular ongoing medical monitoring of your condition. And when a person volunteers for a clinical trial, usually it's the obligation of the clinical trial site to give them that information. In other words, there's a bargain between the participant, the person who volunteers to be in the trial, and what the site should give back to them. They should give them back clear information about their diagnosis, a clear plan, Uh, for how they're going to be followed up, and maybe a series of alternatives about what trial is right for them. They're not all medication trials. Now, that's important. I want you to repeat that. They are not all medication trials, correct? That is correct. Uh, Many are medication trials, but we're very interested in the role of dietary modification, uh, enhanced exercise, and aerobic fitness. And there are many trials out there that enroll people and introduce them to either a dietary modification or an exercise regimen or some type of cognitive stimulation, sort of like exercise for the brain, that may help slow the progression of the disease. 
So there's many kinds of trials that are out there. And uh, at clinical trial sites, a person should usually be given options as to what is the right kind of trial for them. And, and that you know that's important. You be, some people have a natural aversion. Oh my God! I, I you know uh, first of all, here's the other one that I get. I don't want to know if I have it. Now, <laughs> I hear that, and I'm like, really, you're going to stick your head in the sand, yeah. and you're going to pretend like it's going to be okay because you're not going to know right. if you have it. To me, that that just doesn't make any sense. And I've had this conversation with Dr. Burns. I've had it with John Dwyer on the air. I just that approach just to me that's the, the the I'm sorry to say the dumbest damn thing you can do. Well, that is an individual decision that it people is. have to make, but it seems to me that knowing uh, is a better option because you can at least plan your life and uh, engage in your family and your legal planning and so forth and your medical care to make the best of what it, granted is a very bad situation. But um, I used to see many patients who would be uh, surprised by a crisis because they refused to acknowledge that uh, they had a problem and they would end up with a relative who either got lost or got picked up by the police or something like that. Um, and then they had to deal with a, a serious disease in a moment of crisis rather than at a time when they could actually plan for how to manage their lives uh, to minimize the likelihood of some really catastrophic event. And, and if I remember correctly, Dr. Burns talked about some of these trials that are involved in diet and exercise are actually showing that there is reduced risk if you are involved um, in these type of programs um, that have nothing to do with drugs. That's absolutely right. And also you get a team of medical professionals who know you as an individual and can help you manage your own unique situation. Which is extremely important. There, one of the things that when we had uh, Mr. Joe Geithner on who was involved, he's still in the trials at KU, he talked about one of the things that he thought was extremely important was the support group of people right. around that are there to help you deal with that issue because, A, you've got clinical professionals, you've got people right. like Dr. Burns and others who are there to help you with the issues. And he, you know, he participated in drug trials. He's participated in exercise trials. He's done a whole series of things that he thinks have helped him uh, in his current situation. Right, and they've probably provided him with a support system that have, have enabled him to manage his own finances, his household activities, et cetera, to minimize the damage that can be done by a really terrible disease. And, and that makes a lot of sense when you start thinking about where you're going to be, okay, and, and why that is important to, to handle those issues. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today, but I want to thank you personally for coming in here. I think it was wonderful. I think you were very informative to our audience, and hopefully we'll get you back, especially when you can come back and tell us there's been a breakthrough, Doctor. I'd love to come back and tell you that we'd had a breakthrough and discuss how that's going to benefit people. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The website is memorystrings.org, memorystrings.org. I urge you, I urge you, if you have any issue with this at all, if you suspect it, if it's in your family, if it's a friend, as, doc, uh, as Dr. Mose said, go to the website, memorystrings.org. There's a ton of information up there. There are trials all over the country, and it's a tremendous opportunity for you uh, to engage and help solve the problem. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America. 